0: One, two, three, and the place to be is your boy, Talib Kwali. This is another special edition of People's Party, the world's best podcast. Give it up for my co-host, the lovely, the talented, the intelligent, Jasmine Lee. What's up, Jasmine? How you feeling? I'm feeling amazing. <laughs> I love how we're still in quarantine and you're still clapping for yourself. Somebody, someone got to clap for you, so you might as well someone clap for gotta yourself.
1: Someone got to do it, man.
0: Yes. <laughs> Federico's clapping in the background. Um, I'm still in a uh, and my trap house out in Yellow Springs. Shout out to the whole Yellow Springs crew. Today's episode is very special because normally on People's Party we do a deep dive and it's like a, this is your life. But for this guest, I didn't wanna do a deep dive. I wanna have him on later for the deep dive. For this guest, I wanna dive right into current events. This guest is very, very, very special. He is an Edward R. Murrow Award winner, a Native Son Award winner. Shout out to the great James Baldwin. He is widely respected in his field and amongst his peers. He's a trailblazer. He is the only black openly gay gay news anchor in primetime, a graduate of Brooklyn College, which is right in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, I find him to be intellectually intellectually brave. His handlers weren't thrilled about him coming on the people's party (laughs) because of a public conflict that me and his brother had in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, but he decided to come anyway. Much props yeah. for that, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to give it up for Don Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> <LeMond. laughs> what's
2: up, Don Lemon? Ha- hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad we're talking. I have I have no beef with you. I'm happy. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm I'm happy we're doing this. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm proud of you. You said you have the best podcast. I would take issue with that because I think mine's pretty good too. <laughs>
1: So, oh, you want to smoke
2: can, immediately, huh? <laughs> we can share. We can share that. We can both have okay. equally good podcasts. But thank you, real honestly, thank you for inviting me. This is a long time coming, and I, I'm glad to be here. Let's do this.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're here too, and we're going to talk about your podcast as well. Um, yeah. I want to start it off by talking about you talking to Black NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace after the yeah, FBI man. said that the news found in his garage was not directed at, at him. That was an interesting move to me because it felt like you were trying to take care of Wallace by giving him advice on social media, encouraging him, letting, his, letting him share his story. Black men are often called the white men of the black community, which I think is a fair critique. But seeing that interview, for me, it was a reminder that black men are not actually white men and will never be white men. We are also a marginalized group of people and in constant danger. Why was it important for you to facilitate the conversation like the one you had with Bubba. And um, you know, this conversation really seemed to explore and unpack the dangers of being a black man in 2020.
2: So um, let's go back to the first interview I did with him. uh, And Mm -hmm. then this'll bring us up to this one. The first interview I did with him, I asked him, you know, because NASCAR was promising all these things and that they wanted to change and they weren't gonna be racist anymore and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. And I said, well, to him, what does that mean? That you have to take some action, right? It's not just about putting out a press release. What is that action going to be? And I said to him, what happens uh, when, not if, when somebody pulls out uh, a Confederate flag? And he said, I want the Confederate flag banned as a black NASCAR driver. It's not cool. You know, it, it stands for something different for me. Two days later, he said he got a call from NASCAR and saying that they wanted to ban the flag. So and then from there, they put him out front. He got so much flack, as you saw in, the, in that race that he did in Talladega in Alabama, uh, because that flag was banned. All of those, you know, whatever you want to call them, came with their um, their Confederate flags on the car. Right. And, right. and, and displaying, um, you know, across the street from the from the um, venue. And then right after that, he got all the support, which was great. It, publicly, it looked great. And then he got he got all the support, and then the news thing came. And by the time he got to my show after this news thing, the FBI had determined that it wasn't a hate crime, and Bubba Wallace was the one standing out in front on a ledge, doing all the interviews and getting all the flack, right. while NASCAR, as supportive as they say they are, and I, I take them at their word, I didn't see any. I didn't see the head of NASCAR on. Good Morning America, or the Today Show, or CNN, or on Don Lemon Show, or on, on your podcast, I saw mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace.
0: Mm-hmm. And people
2: are calling him a faker, a hoaxer. you know, it was a hoax, and on and on and on. And he's getting all the flag. And I and I understand that, and I know you understand, that the rules are different for us. Mm-hmm. That the, the, you know, especially the racists, they're out there, every moment that they can prove that it's fake and it's not real, they're gonna take that opportunity. So I was mm-hmm. trying to stand up for him because nobody else was standing up for Bubba except for Bubba. NASCAR mm-hmm. wasn't standing up. So I was trying and he's reading social media. He's freaking out. People are calling him all kinds of names. And you know what they were calling him on there, mm-hmm. comparing it to the Chicago thing where, you know, that people didn't believe was real. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that. Yeah. And I <laughs> OK, you can say it. <laughs> and so I said, I, I said, look, nobody's helping this brother. Mm-hmm. And. And, uh, you know, there are some moments where you we have to take care of each other uh, as black people because we understand what someone else is going through. And mm-hmm. the larger culture does not understand that. That's what that was all about. I was just being That's human. Right.
0: That's right. Um, I think it was good work. Um, in a clip that went viral, you challenged a good friend of yours, Chris Cuomo, um, to not just say he's not racist, but to be actively anti-racist. You asked him to imagine you as George Floyd. Your quote from that uh, interview was, it is not incumbent upon black people to stop racism. It is incumbent upon people who hold the power in the society to do the heavy lifting. Can you break down why it was important for you to have that public conversation with Chris Cuomo?
2: Because I think that there is, listen, People always say I'm not racist, I have uh, friends who are black and whatever, and that's true of Chris, and that's true of me. We're friends, we are genuinely friends. But I think that in this time that people should, you cannot grow up in America and say that I don't have a racist bone in my body. That's right. If you come out of American soil, then you have a racial blind spot or whatever you want to call it, Every, mm-hmm. you know, especially white people, because how could you not? Mm-hmm. The, the factory reset in America is whiteness. Mm -hmm. And considering what that whiteness means when you look at the history of slavery and Jim Crow, who uh, has access to housing, education, um, uh, the portrayals of people in media, that is all the reset to that. When you get an upgrade on your iPhone, right, and they say, oh, you screw that up, go back to the factory reset, that's in America, that's whiteness. And so how could you come out of American soil and not have some sort of racial blind spot or some sort of unconscious bias? And so, yeah. stop saying what I wanted to say to him and to everyone, stop saying i I, I don't have a racist bone in my body because everyone mm-hmm. does, and the moment you have to admit that you have the problem first in order yeah. to fix it. And then, in this moment, which is about blackness, this is not about all lives matter. This isn't about, you know, there are poor white people. Of course, all of those things are important. But this is a moment about Blackness and what we do about racism as it concerns Black people in this country. Not all people, not, listen, quite honestly, not gay people and I'm gay. This is about Black people and racism Mm -hmm. and the history of slavery in this country. So we don't want to all lives matter this. We don't want to very fine people on both sides matter this. This is Mm -hmm. a time to dig into racism against Black people and the the how it's going to get fixed is white people understanding that there is a problem listening to black people and believing them when they say these things happen Then having a conversation and then taking some action every single day like it is a disease, like it is a cancer, calling people out when they say things that are uncomfortable, making sure the company you work for hires people of color, making sure in your life you have black people who come over to your house, who you invite to the movie, Mm -hmm. who you talk to on the phone, who you go to the car wash with, who you go to the gym with, who you go for a walk Mm -hmm. with, not just the black people at work or your are one black friend. You have to mm-hmm. be active, you have to be an anti-racist, not just say, well, I'm not racist. You have to make sure that right. you take some action. That's what that was that, about.
0: That's right, that's right. Um, also in that conversation, you used the phrase, "occupied communities. You said that the police are occupying our neighborhoods. Now, that's pretty yeah. radical language for a CNN anchor. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's more like the activist journalism direction. Um, yeah. Since Ferguson, since the election of Trump, Um, you've gradually, in my opinion, gone more the activist-journalist direction. Do you agree with that?
2: I disagree with that. I don't say I'm, and I'll tell you why. What I said was, is that people feel that they're African-Americans and the people who are out there feel that they are occupied Mm -hmm. in their communities by they live in an occupied community. That's how they feel because of the way police treat, their treatment by police. And that Mm -hmm. police have no... um, they can't relate to the community. They don't live in the community. They don't understand mm-hmm. the people in the community. They really don't have affinity for the community. So they're basically occupied because they're the overseers watching to mm-hmm. see who's gonna mess up and who they can punish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not an activist. I'm speaking from, an, and this, this isn't my opinion, this mm-hmm. is fact. So I'm speaking from my point of view as a black man in this society. And so if you want to say that that's activism, then fine, you can say that. I don't believe that that's, that's activism. I believe that that is telling the truth. And that is my role as a journalist. There are certain times when you have to say, OK, well, here's what the other side is saying. Right. Yeah. You, and there are certain times as a journalist that I have to play devil's advocate. But I don't believe yeah. that in this moment anymore. And I don't believe that with this administration. There's truth okay. or there's not truth. There's reality and there's not reality. So that's how I feel about that. Sorry to go on.
1: What is a journalist's actual responsibility in these times of global social unrest? And how do you balance corporate biases, political biases and racial biases while trying to be transparent when you step in and do your job?
2: Well, the the, the important thing that you said is to be transparent about it. And um, and I think that the role, my role as a journalist is to speak from my truth and from my lens and from where I come from. And I don't think those things are biases. I think those Mm -hmm. things give me expertise uh, in in this particular subject. Some people, you know, are um, uh, economic reporters. Right. They report on the Mm -hmm. economy. They report on Wall Street. um, Our our Dr. Sanjay Gupta is a medical uh, doctor. He reports on medicine and science. I'm a black man who grew up and who lives and survives and works in America. I have a certain perspective and a certain point of view, and I'm bringing that important part of the diverse um, culture of this company to the fore, and I should be. And so the people who don't want to hear that, they who don't want to hear my truth, will say to you that I am biased. I'm not mm-hmm. biased. This is my truth as a Black man in America. And so I don't worry about balancing and what people are gonna think and whatever. I bring my truth to the fore, and that's what I'm supposed to do.
0: Now, as a Black man in in America, um, I was very proud of you when you went on CNN and said, this is CNN tonight. I am Don Lemon. The president of the United States is a racist. Um, I think that that's one of my favorite things you've done. Another favorite thing that you've done, besides... Having that argument with me, of course, but um, <laughs> is when you is I when enjoyed you put that. Th- I don't
2: know why. I, I thought it was fine, and I, I was like, I hope
0: this brother's not mad. But I, I think
2: people. I think everybody honestly got something out of that. Something always yeah. comes out of, of those things. So
0: yeah. You know, well, I mean, you do you do yeah. media for a living, so I think you understood that moment. I was I was hot when that when that first happened, but um, but ever since then, let me ask this question. You said I want to quote you. You said, uh, you said, uh, you put your notes down. And you look straight into the camera and you were talking about George Bush. You're talking about uh, Barack Obama. You said, by the way, what is it about President Obama that really gets under your skin? Talking talking about Trump. Yeah. Yeah. You said, is it it because he's smarter than you, better educated, made it on his own, didn't need daddy's help. Wife is more accomplished, better looking. (laughs) I don't know. What is it? What is it about him that he's a black man who's accomplished, became president, that he punked you on the whole birth certificate thing? Just wondering. Were you trolling Trump in that moment? Um, <laughs> that was a read. That was a read. Right. <laughs> no,
2: because um, that was a moment of authenticity that was not written, that was not scripted. I was going through my uh, show. And in that moment, Tali, uh, I, that's what I was thinking. I said, mm-hmm. I was like, what is up with this man? Why is mm-hmm. he... What is it about about Barack Obama that really like what like get off of his you know what like what is wrong, you right. know and and why did you, you see always... the memes
0: of of you with the ether hat on, like dressed up like Nas? <laughs> I did. Did you guys see the, the guy? They who put the, the beat behind dance? it
2: too. They
0: did. Did you see the
2: interpretive dance? There was no, I didn't see an that. interpretive. Oh, you got to look for the interpretive. Okay. You saw it. It was good. <laughs> it was just honestly what I was thinking. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, I probably could have gone on longer. Um, but I think I was making a lot of people nervous in the control room. So <laughs> I said, all right, all right, right. let me move on before. Uh, and I, But I think that enough, it was just enough um, to where it wasn't overkill. People okay. got it. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't trolling. Um, But if it came up as a troll, then so be it.
0: Okay. Um, I have a lot of respect for journalists and just the work that journalists do. Um, I want to shout out Yamisha Alcindor for what she's been doing at the White House. It's been incredible. Um, Love her. Donald Trump, with his whole fake news thing, he has a lot of disdain for journalists, black journalists in particular, black women most of all. Um, in February 2017, I saw Donald Trump disrespect black journalist April Ryan, and I felt like the other journalists in the room didn't have her back. Journalist uh, Jake Turks was called a liar, Jewish journalist Jake Turks was called a liar and told to sit down before he even asked a question about antisemitism during that same presser. The next day, Jake, who represents a more conservative pro-Israel lobby, trolled me personally on Twitter, and he defended Trump when I spoke out about how Trump treated him. This made me feel like the press had failed us. I felt like mm-hmm. the politicians failed us. Hillary failed us. Bernie failed us. They didn't, they didn't defeat Trump. So it made me feel like it's up to the people to stop Donald Trump. So I staged a week-long protest in D.C. standing out there in the cold. I didn't receive a lot of support for it. But my question is, why don't journalists, especially the ones that Trump calls fake news, have each other's back more?
2: That is a question that I have as well, because I'm sitting there and I'm watching the um i watched the briefings and him answer questions and i couldn't be in, the, in that because mm-hmm. they would have kicked me out a long time ago mm-hmm. and that, maybe that's it because maybe they're afraid of getting kicked out maybe they just don't mm-hmm. want to cause trouble for their news organization maybe in mm-hmm. some way they're embarrassed um but i think we're beyond that and and this is not a partisan issue for me this is not, this is is it not even an indication of how i vote or any of that this is about mm-hmm. Truth, uh, having uh, some sort of dignity, treating the office with respect, and more so, more than anything, treating your fellow Americans and human beings with respect. The president doesn't do that with reporters. Mm. He doesn't do that with anyone, and he expects us to write positive things or say positive things about him. And he says, you know what, everything is so negative. It is not, journalists aren't supposed to write glowing things. Uh, About the president of the United States. We're not cheerleaders for the president of the United States. We're Mm -hmm. supposed to, with a critical eye, um, question Mm -hmm. what the administration is doing, no matter who it is, and hold truth to power. That's what we're supposed to do. So I don't know why they don't do that, because if if. The person in front of me before me in the White House briefing room asks a question and the president or the press secretary or whomever mm-hmm. either embarrasses or attacks that person or doesn't answer the question. When they say Don, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna ask the same question as the person before that's me. That's right. That's to right. get an answer. And that's what I, I want more of. I, I don't know why, or they'll say, or I will say, I relinquish my time to the person before me. Mm -hmm. Or and if they say, well, I don't want they call on someone else. I say, okay, well, I'll ask a question. And then I would ask the same question. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they don't do that, because I think that would be a way to show support. And I think that might make a difference with the administration. um, And we might get some more answers. I agree. Uh,
1: In 2011, The Daily Show praised you for repeatedly going off script. Creative Loathing did a story about it. (laughs) and they asked you what CNN wants you to be. And you said, I think they just want me to be a good looking black guy, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Just suppose suppose that with a more recent interview where you had with the LA Times and you said you love what you do right now and you feel like you found your voice and your groove and this is your time to be on TV. How have your feelings about your role um, and the role of journalists changed?
2: Well, that was a different time. And um, and both of those things, I think, are accurate because that's how I felt at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I will say that since that time, we have gotten um, a new management. We've gotten a new mm-hmm. boss. And CNN is a, a is a different organization and um, a, a more inclusive organization, a more diverse organization and an organization that allows its journalists to be journalists and to have mm-hmm a point of view. And and I think once um, the new boss came in who realizes that and who allows us to be us, um, I think that all changed. And I think right now, under the circumstances, I don't think we're ever going to get uh, this opportunity that we have now with people mm-hmm. sitting at home with a pandemic who have no other choice but to watch people, they watch two Black men within a couple weeks die in front of their eyes on TV. Mm-hmm. And so that's just in the recent moments. And if I can't be that's just recently and if i can't be myself and bring my perspective as a black man and, and you know as a journalist i think i'd be derelict in my duty first of all as a journalist and second mm-hmm. of all as a black citizen of the united states with full rights and privileges and so um i think people grow over time people listen you grow into your role uh as a, as an artist right You evolve, you become better, you become more comfortable, your voice gets stronger, you find your footing in your platform. And I think that is something that happens naturally. And that's what's happened to me at CNN. I sit in that seat every night and I say, this is my seat. This is my time. I'm gonna take time. I'm gonna uh, say what I have to say and I'm gonna take my time and do it.
0: Um, I wanna send a big rest in power, rest in peace to Mike Brown Um, before we start talking about what you and me were talking about in Ferguson. You know, the takeaway for me that I was most critical of myself was, is that our argument and our conflict may have in that moment overshadowed what we were there to talk about, which was Mike Brown um, and the police brutality. But I do want to give a bit of the backstory for that exchange. It's the most viral thing I've ever been a part of. You said that to me right after you are like, you know, this going viral, right? Um, You rolled up (laughs) on a skateboard. Uh, You roll up on a skateboard. I thought that was down to earth, but that's the backstory for why I was like when we was arguing. I was like, yo, you skated up here so people don't know that you showed up on a skateboard. Um, But the producer had told me I was going to be interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And for that reason, I was surprised when you showed up and they said, do you mind being interviewed by Don Lemon? I didn't have an opinion on you at that time, but I knew you were black man in the media, so I was excited about that. But I feel like both of us were put in a very high pressure situation. You coming in to, um, to do something that I would, that, that Anderson was about to do, me not knowing uh, anything about you. Um, during our argument, after mentioning that uh, you didn't greet me before we went on air, I took offense to the, to the statement, I invited you to, to the show. Knowing the backstory, I didn't quite love the implication that you invited me to the show directly, which is why I stated that. Um, but unfortunately, again, me saying that, I think, distracted from my actual point and took away from the focus of Mike Brown. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Well, I
2: I agree with you. I think that um, the same thing in this time, that that we don't need two Black men fighting who have Mm -hmm. platform. Mm -hmm. We need to be, we need to have unity and speak in one singular voice not that we can we can't have different opinions about things but when I say one voice I mean we need to be supportive of each other because there's mm-hmm. power in numbers and there's power in communities and uh, and and strength and, and all of that but um, I I so I'm glad you said that because I didn't I didn't think that you understood the backstory for me okay mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. um, from what I could remember from that moment, I think I found out like maybe 30 minutes, if that far, before the interview, because Anderson was stuck at another interview. Mm. And they call me, I was on another story, and they said, because that was, the whole Ferguson thing was so stressful, between live shots and shows, I would just skate mm. to try to get my head together. Like, this is so deep, this is, and I would just skate. But I was actually at another interview, and the skateboard was a mode of transportation to get there fast so mm-hmm. that I could do this show. And I quite honestly, there were people who were behind the scenes who weren't sure if they wanted, they thought, ooh, I don't know what if we want to have him on, blah, 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 blah. And I said, yes, mm-hmm. I want to hear his voice. And so they called me late to do this thing. And so my work is in this phone. So I'm going over the research about you, what you said, what you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, the rundown of the show, um, who's on, who's my producer. I'm looking at that in my phone. So when I rolled up, I said hello to you. I probably, you know, I could have been like, oh, you know, get big hug or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm like, I got to get to show. I got to get my IB on. I got to get hair and makeup. I got to get all this together. And so I'm thinking, and I'm looking at my phone, not out of disrespect, but out of respect because I'm trying to get, make sure that I tell your story in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And so I agree with you that it was distracting it caused me a lot. I got disinvited from the from the cookout because people didn't understand where I was coming from. <laughs> but that whole that whole time that we were doing that, people were in my ear going rap, rap, rap. And I'm saying, right. no, I'm I want to thank you for that. This is
0: good. I yeah. think I want to thank you for that, because, I mean, I was heated in that moment, but I did acknowledge and the, and the moment when the conversation changed is when you said out loud to the producers, hang on, this is important. And when you said that, it made made me feel the same way I felt when I just described you taking care of Bubba Wallace. I said, okay, we're back on the same page now. Even though we might disagree, even though I'm still hot, at least I know that we're on the same team now. You know what I'm saying? I knew
2: you were hot and I wanted people to hear that. And Mm -hmm. there was only one thing that I I think that you said something and I said, and I wanted you to, I was saying it because I wanted you to go on and explain your side. And -hmm. I think I was saying, but the police say this and you're like this is not about the police. That's said, exactly right. That's why I got triggered. The, at. Yeah, but I but that's what you could, you know. But anyway, it's right. water of the bridge, but you could have said like I will, I was trying to give you an opportunity to state your side. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I understood that you were angry. Listen, and that I I've got the skin of an armadillo. That goes with the territory. <laughs> but I think people right. got a wrong impression about me um, after that interview that wasn't necessarily true, but it you know, it is what it is. Here we are. I'm cool. And I think you are too.
0: I'm glad you brought up, I am, I'm glad you brought up the police thing because that was definitely it. I felt like, you know, I was on there to share my perspective and I felt like CNN and the media, and I felt like you were proud of the work that you were doing there, right? So when I criticized the media, you're like, well, hold on, we've been doing this work and that work. No, but it wasn't about me
2: being proud. I'm glad you said Mm -hmm. that. I was proud of the work that you were doing. I was Mm -hmm. trying to give you an opportunity to be heard. And- Mm -hmm. I just think that there was so, tempers were flaring and people were so mm. emotional and so angry. And I understand that that you, you, you took it the wrong way, but that's okay. I'm mm. cool with that. But and still, I wanted to allow you to, because they had been rapping me for a long time before I said, hang on, this is important. Right. By the time it gets to me saying, hang on, this is important, that means they're like, Rap. Rap, that right. means like a manager has come in the control room and said, wrap this up right now. Right. <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> right. but anyways, I appreciate that. And listen, you don't have to explain yourself. You did so what funny. you did. I did what I did. It's all, it's out in the ethos and it's gone. Uh-huh. You're a right. black brother. I love you. I love that what you fight for and what you stand for and what you've done. And I respect that. That's water under the bridge, brother. I'm We're here right, right. now meeting and talking. So that's it. I-
0: I appreciate the love and I return it. Now, brother, um, Omar uh, Jimenez, is that how I say his name? Yeah. That brother was doing the same job you were doing in Minneapolis that you were doing in Ferguson. Um, That brother got arrested. I saw him. I saw him get arrested live on TV. I almost
2: got arrested Mm -hmm. in Ferguson. I don't know if you saw that when the cop pushed me. And Mm -hmm. it was telling me to get back, get back, get back. And then Mm -hmm. I I think the only reason then that I didn't get arrested is because he saw that I was on live TV and I was like, I'm on live TV and they keep pushing me back and pushing me back. I think that was the only reason I didn't get arrested. But he got arrested. He handled himself very well. Sorry. Go on.
0: No, but I, I, I saw the parallels between what happened to him and what, what our exchange was about. A friend of mine, photojournalist Meldy Cole, was recently assaulted in Philly while he was uh, mm-hmm. documenting these things. You said in the conversation with Chris Cuomo, I do live in Harlem, but I'm lucky enough to have this job that protects me. Journalists have a protected status that you recognize, as do celebrities. But do you see that protection sort of ending? In this Trump administration,
2: yeah, because because institutions are un, un, under attack, and one of those institutions mm-hmm. under attack is journalism, because mm-hmm. and he will say that we are fake and we're enemies of the people. If you when the truth isn't on your side, that's the sort of thing that you revert to is mm-hmm. um, by trying to demean um, the the um, the messenger. Right. Mm -hmm. The person who is telling the truth. And so, yes, I think that that protective status around that should be around journalists um, is has been whittled away by this administration. That's a very simple and honest answer to your question. Yes. Okay. And that's dangerous. And that's dangerous.
0: yes. Jasmine, you had a question about the podcast.
1: Yes, uh, we have been listening to your podcast. Silence is not an option. Silence uh, is not an option. It is not. And um, it feels like you take you have the desire to take some of these conversations from the heated newsroom environment where you can slow it down and intellectually debate or discuss these ideas outside of the news cycle. Why is that so important in an era when so many ideas are at surface level?
2: Because I um, because I can't get to everything that I want to get to um, on my show. And even, and that's why I'm doing this because I have so much to say. Listen, think about it. When you introduced me, when you guys introduced me, you introduced me as the um, the only uh, black man in, pr- I'm the only black person right now in mm-hmm. primetime cable who happens to be gay, right? Mm-hmm. And I am at the matrix of all of this. Sometimes I'm like, I'm the conductor saying, there's a fire over here. They're gassing protesters over there. They're doing this. And on every single, um, almost every single major story in the country, but especially the the ones that have to deal with black folks. And I have so much to say because quite frankly, I'm an expert just because of my position. And I have a um, a point of view and a platform that is rare. And I wanna Mm -hmm. share my experiences and what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling to everyone. And I have so much that I wanna get out that I, I think this podcast helps me do it and it helps me delve into it at a level that I can't do it on television because I have so many things that I want to cover. This podcast covers race and being black and brown in America and we can go as deep as I want and I I am grateful to that and for that and I, I hope everybody listens.
0: I appreciate the love, Brother Don Lemon. I have one more question I wanna ask you. Um, I think it's important right now in this era, especially since you mentioned that you're a black man who happens to be gay. The dominant social movement right now for black people is Black Lives Matter. Um, Mm -hmm. It was started by queer women of color. um, And many people, including black people, demonize Black Lives Matter because of this. They accuse Black Lives Matter of pushing the gay agenda. So this is like a two-part question. What is the gay agenda? (laughs) If that's even a thing, right? And you won a native son award, which is named after James Baldwin's note to the native son. Can you tell me how you were influenced by the great James Baldwin?
2: (laughs) I wish I was in the room and you see like in the other room, I have all James Baldwin's book. I read, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a point where I discovered James Baldwin through Giovanni's room and then I went Mm -hmm. on to the fire next time. And then I read in one summer the entire James Baldwin canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a couple little things that I haven't read, but um, I mean, James Baldwin was like me. He's a black man in America and mm-hmm. he um, was profound and and um, I think a soothsayer and saw into the future because he's still relevant now. So mm-hmm. the uh, James, I mean, it's, it's a no brainer why James Baldwin resonates with me. Right. And he should resonate with all black people. He just happens That's to right. be gay, especially mm-hmm. black men. Uh, And then he wrote Another Country which had to do with that. And people don't know Giovanni's Room is is also about a a gay relationship that Mm -hmm. that he had. I, um, when you ask me what the gay agenda is, the gay agenda is equality. That's all it is. We want to be treated Mm -hmm. and protected just like every other American. So there is no gay agenda that's separate than any other. This isn't about extra rights. Same thing for black people. Black people don't want extra rights. We want equal rights, Yes. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing for, for gay people. But James Baldwin has influenced me so much that he is um, one of the catalysts, this movement in this moment in time, but he's one of the catalysts for a new book that I'm working on that I don't know what the name of it is going to be or when it's going to come out. But um, that's how much he has inspired me. And I'll let you know and I'll come back on the show if you'll have me once, once that's done.
0: No doubt. We'd love to have you back. I'm glad that we had the conversation that we had. You need to invite me to New Orleans for New Year's so we can do tequila shots and get earrings (laughs) together. You know what I'm
2: saying?
1: Because you'll be lit.
0: You'll be lit. Uh, All right. Okay.
2: Okay. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. We'll have a good time. No doubt. I love New Orleans. We have a great time for New Year's. It's all good fun. It's all good fun. No doubt. We appreciate you,
0: brother. Thank you for staying with us for for this uh, amount of time. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Tully. Thank you, Jasmine.
1: Thank you. It was a great conversation. I appreciate
2: it. All right. All right. I'll see you guys soon.